Welcome to the Week in Sports Cars on the Marshall Pro Podcast, brought to you by Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, TorontoMotorsports.com, my cat Rocky, who is currently licking himself in places that we are not going to describe on the show, and uh, someone who I really, truly hope is not also licking himself in a variety of places, the editor of DailySportsCar.com, Graham Goodwin. Definitely not looking at myself. Good evening, good morning, good afternoon. Anybody everywhere in the world at the moment uh, listening in from a chilly uh, south of England. And it's in, we're in the darkness of Friday night at the moment. But uh, lots going on, MP. Just uh, a quick kind of catch up before we get into the meat and two veg of the, and that's not, not another licking reference um, of the uh, <laughs> weekend sports cars. Um, some significant news this week. Another LMDH factory announcement. We talked about this earlier in the year when we expected something to come around Le Mans. Happily, we've not had to wait as long as some had indicated we might. Alpine, Renault's sporting brand, will be coming to LMDH for 2024 um, with a two-car effort uh, with uh, the Signatech uh, outfit, Orica. Uh, will provide the uh, chassis for that effort. It will be an all-new engine, in-house developed engine with aero uh, developed uh, by the, well, with assistance from the Alpine F1 efforts based in Enston in the UK. Um, and yes, yet another factory effort coming to sports car racing, and in this case specifically the FIWEC. That's one bit of good news. That was this side of the pond. Your side of the pond, MP. Good news as well um, for a place, but possibly not a race that you hold uh, dear, and that's Indianapolis, not this weekend, but next weekend. And by far the best, some would say the first convincing um, enduro uh, entry list for an SRO run Intercontinental GT Challenge race in the USA. The Indy 8 Hours uh, will have, at the moment, 41 cars, uh, 28 uh, GT3s, including more than a smattering of pro cars coming from Europe, and indeed, in one instance, from Asia, uh, plus uh, just over a dozen GT4 cars with a couple of your IndyCar mates uh, aboard some of those cars as well. So one to watch there as well. So that's that's what's been going on over the last few days, MP. But as you know, and as everyone out there I know knows, we shape this show around listener questions. You put that uh, that call out earlier this week, and we're going to do our irregular grab bag of questions again uh, this time. So do you want to start this one or do you want me to I bring one in your general direction? Have I'm going to fart this one in your general direction. Uh, <laughs> and I think it fits perfectly with what you just trailed off to begin with. James Counter, James, you are the man making this episode launch properly, launch hard, but not spinning the tires and incurring a penalty. It says, do you think the Alpine Rebellion LMP1 car Graham will still be racing in 2023 says it would seem odd to make the brand sit out the centenary. And so that's the, uh, for those who didn't see all the headlines there, Alpine's coming with a LMD Husky LMDH 2024 though, that big 100th anniversary uh, celebrating the inaugural 24 hours of Le Mans, as I love to incorrectly pronounce, uh, is indeed in 2023. So what do you think we're going to see from our friends at Alpine? 
Uh, well, I think it's a good question from James. So first and foremost, uh, 2022, I have zero doubt we'll see uh, another and the final year from the grandfathered ex-Rebellion car, now the Alpine A480. Um, and you, you're right, the, the open question is what happens after that? And I think there's a number of possibilities. It will, of course, be the centenary year for the 24 Hours of Le Mans. LMP2 is somewhere where Alpine in recent years with Signatech have had much success. A couple of wins at Le Mans uh, with their previous car, another Oreca-based car. But in a couple of interviews that were done around that launch in Paris, uh, other things were mentioned too, including the possibility that there might be some opportunity to take a look at the innovative car um, slot now, we've seen that as Garage 56 in the past, and this uh, this year we had uh, Fred Sose's Academy for um, to, to physically handicapped uh, drivers and bringing that car home. And I do wonder, MP, bearing in mind um, this is a major French brand, bearing in mind what Signatech have been up to elsewhere, which uh, they look after the Richard Mill Racing Team LMP2 effort, the all-female LMP2 effort, parked. Uh, backed by uh, Richard Meal, who is the president of the Endurance Commission of the FIA, whether or not we're going to uh, to see the prospect of something based, if you like, one of their more social sides of things, rather than the technology side of the innovative entry, whether or not there might be something on the more social side of, uh, of things. And I wonder whether or not that might be something along the lines of diversity and inclusion. And That'd be pretty cool. I think. I think that uh, we we saw last week. It's, it's, forgive me getting the name of the scheme uh, incorrect, but the IMSA diversity program bringing forward the names that they're going to put into the frame. Yeah, ten drivers um, that to, have been to, nominated. Yes. Yeah. So I wonder whether there might be something there for Alpine. Pretty clearly, it's going to be a kind of a holding position before the LMDH car comes the following year in 24. But if they can't win at Le Mans, and they can't in 2023, then they might just as well go in what we keep saying is going to be an absolutely enormous motor race uh, with huge international attention on them. They might just as well come forward with something that can grab some of the headlines. And I wonder whether it might be something along those lines. Could be just LMP2, nothing wrong with that. Uh, but it could be that they look for something with a little bit more PR punch to it. So there is a bit of hashtag wait and see. Uh, it's quite a lot of hashtag wait and see. And um, I'm sure once we get to Bahrain and the uh, Signatech and the Alpine guys gather, that uh, there'll be a less than orderly queue around the back of their garage to ask exactly those questions. Why don't we, where, should, where am I going to take you, take us? Our pal Oscar C. Love says the Trans Am Series is, is about to lose uh, one of its bigger stars, but no word on where he's going to land. Any thoughts? Well, I do think, Oscar, that when you tell us who exactly you're speaking about, <laughs> it does help me to give you an answer. Uh, I guess because I think of there could be a couple of folks considered to be stars. Uh, in the series, if it's who I think you're referring to, that would be Ernie Francis Jr. I'll be very surprised if his future is not mostly, almost exclusively open wheel. So uh, let me use uh, 
a, a grand goodwinism that we uh, we don't use that often. Uh, not a hashtag. Let's wait and see. But um, hashtag watch the space. Although we're Ooh. on a sports car show, and I, am I going to be telling you about open wheel? I don't know. Maybe I'm a little bit uh, confused. Uh, let's see. Where should I go here? Damien Peachman. Is there a reason why the SRO haven't released a 2022 IGTC calendar yet? Any thoughts there, Graham? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, simply they're, they're waiting to find out exactly what happens with travel restrictions. Pretty clearly we've lost the um, Bathurst 12-hour. It looks very much as if that is, that's not going to be the case. Uh, not, we're not going to be back there again in 2022 unless things turn around very quickly. And as a lot of my Aussie mates are making very clear, both personally um, in our interact, uh, interactions and also publicly through social media, um, the how could put it the more outwardly looking aspects of Australian society becoming very frustrated indeed with what is effectively still a kind of continental lockdown, um, and that's beginning to have, I think, real effects in terms of their kind of peace of mind, etc. But um, with Bathurst looking as if that is unlikely to be on the calendar, pretty clearly uh, we're looking to see what uh, the other options might be. I can tell you, we're recording this on Friday evening, uh, my, my time in the UK. Um, in less than 48 hours, we'll know whether or not there's uh, a step forward. Sunday, uh, we'll see Stefan Mattel make his uh, annual calendar announcements. That is definitely going to include a reintroduction of the GT World Challenge Asia. Uh, that bodes well for them being able to add an Asian round for the Intercontinental GT Challenge because the Suzuka 10 Hours is another race that fell victim to COVID and its aftermath. So hopefully by the time we get to the end of this weekend, we'll know whether or not there is an active plan to get beyond the three races in the IGTC that we will have this year. Spa has already taken place. Indianapolis is next weekend. And then... Uh, the other side of that is the the nine hours at Kiel Army. Uh, there will be the three missing, therefore, a race in Oceania and missing a race in Asia to make up the five that they would prefer to have for the full season. So at the moment, I think they're, they're playing a little bit of hashtag wait and see, but happily, not too much longer after you've heard this podcast, if you hear it as soon as we put it up um, tonight, tomorrow, then you should have the answer from uh, no better authority than Stefan Rattel himself. I am so disappointed in your response. I was just going to say, <laughs> is there a reason why the SRO haven't released their 2022 IGTC calendar? Yes, Damien, you. It's your fault. Rattel called me fault. and said that Peachman guy in your podcast. Keeps doing it. We're yep. holding off just because of him. He also asks... How is the grid shaping up for next year in IMSA's new GTD Pro class? have a story this week on racer.com where our friends uh, in the good old paddock who happen to compete right now in regular GTD, that being Team Hardpoint, uh, they have said they have an intent to expand it to Porsche 911 GT3Rs next year with one of those aimed like a fast German hot rod for GTD Pro. So... I would say I th think we're going to be safe in 
eight to nine full-time cars. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't think... It's coming, it's coming together, isn't it? It's coming together. The, the, the rumors, speculation, and a couple of announcements, it's beginning to form up. Kind of, sort of, Damien. I don't know if we're going to get to the exact number of 10 or whatever, 11, when we had GTLM at its true peak. But I think we're going to be pretty darn close numerically and also manufacturer diversity-wise where while they will be GT3 instead of uh, GTE-based uh, vehicles, I think we're going to see something that is pretty darn familiar to what we loved when uh, GTLM was more or less at its peak. And if that all bears out as we expect, I will be both pleased and surprised because I didn't think there was going to be that heavy of a response, Graham, and also mm-hmm. needing to say congratulations, IMSA, on making this call, not waiting until <laughs> we've got three competing right now at VIR. Uh, thanks for not letting it get down to two or one. So I think the timing will end up proving to be uh, pretty darn sharp as well. Which ones do you want to take here, brother? Um, I'm going to go with quick question here. I'm going to ask myself, from Peter Storley uh, on the Facebooks. It says, um, following the GT2 debut of the Brabham BT62, has that program replaced the previously advertised GTE or GT3 prospects or are there plans to produce cars to multiple different specs? The answer is it uh, fundamentally has replaced any prospect whatsoever of seeing uh, a car in GTE uh, because pretty clearly GTE is going to go um, the way of several classes have gone historically. GT3 brings with it a requirement to build a substantial number of road cars. GT2 is gives them the opportunity to come in with the blessing of the organization that owns the IP for GT2, that would be SRO, uh, reach an agreement of what the requirement would be to reach that threshold um, and get to the stage where they operate hand in glove with SRO on making sure that the uh, performance window for that car is appropriate for GT2. So yes, it gives them that opportunity. GT2 potentially could be a place where you start to see if the formula starts to take off rather more than it currently is, uh, where you get to see one or two of those more boutique manufacturers. Um, it's broadly speaking kind of similar kind of um, price points and performance uh window as gt3 but without the (sighs) massive rule book that comes with an fia homologated series it's going to be an interesting one mp over the next i'd say year two years three years to see how that market develops we've got porsche involved not with huge numbers we've got audi involved not with huge numbers we've got lamborghini involved with a version of their Super Trofeo car. And again, not massive numbers there either. Uh, and actually, of all of those uh, GT2 manufacturers, the one that is breaking through in terms of numbers, KTM uh, from Austria, with the um, the closed-top version and the lengthened version of their somewhat cookie but very impressive uh, crossbow, uh, the GTX, the GT2, making inroads into places like Preventix uh, race series, into... Um, the VLN with cars racing around the Nürburgring and into GT2 as well. So Hans Reiter and his lieutenants, who include, by the way, one Thomas Enger, uh, works full-time for, for Hans, um, that's, that's, I think that's, that's a good sign that maybe 
there's a future for an international racing class of cars that doesn't focus simply around the established major players from the big makes that you know will feature in just about everything, whether or not that be GT4, GT3, GTE, whatever that is, and for that matter, an LMDH moving forward, uh, that there, there is apparently space for something a little bit different. Uh, what next? Let's have a quick look. Here's one from Chris Ward. I'm going to pop it your way. No, no. Not yes. Chris Ward. Not Chris I Ward. I wish it was it Lamborghini's Chris Ward, by the way. Wouldn't it be great Ooh, if the head of uh, Lamborghini's U.S. Operation, racing operations is sending well, in pretend, questions? Let's pretend it is. Uh, let's pretend it is. So uh, Lamborghini's uh, head of uh, operations in the U.S. says, word on the street is Earl Bamba's lined up for the uh, O2 Ganassi Cadillac. Tinfall hat time, hypothetically speaking. That's a couple of revisos. Does GM move Nick Tandy from Corvette to Cadillac and reteam a successful duo for a WC run at MTH? I love the way you think, Chris. Should also mention Chris reached out. Uh, I won't give away the surprise. We'll hopefully see the uh, surprise on Instagram or Twitter sometime soon. One of our uh, show graphics, which um, may be carried by him personally, permanently because he's crazy um i love the idea the gm thinking hey let's put together two fairly famous porsche teammates so everyone talks about porsche uh while they're racing the general motors product um yeah i'm gonna think there there's probably limited willingness to do that it's a great idea obviously they're they're phenomenal drivers but not aware of any room for young Nicholas from the UK to drive a Cadillac Chip Ganassi Racing Factory DPI next year. Could there be a, a change come LMDH in 23? Again, who knows? Stay here for just a sec, Graham, because I want to pass this to you. I think we're both aware that Nick is competing for Corvette slash GM while still having some friendly-ish ties with Porsche. Um, do you have, or have you had, comfort and confidence that with uh, young Mr. Tandy as a factory Corvette driver, that that is something with semi-permanence? Or have you had that feeling in your gut like me that, huh, uh, I won't be surprised if Corvette's searching for someone else because Nick might be going and doing something else for someone else. I think let's put it this way. I would be surprised if Nick going into the arrangement with Corvette Racing um, hadn't looked a couple of years into his future to see exactly what was coming down the pipe. Uh, Nick's a smart cookie. Remember, not only is he an awesome race driver, he's a race team owner. Um, so he thinks strategically, uh, you know, uh, around uh, the direction for his team and direction for his own career. Uh, absolutely, taking on the mantle of uh, the top Briton in the, America's biggest sports car team from Ollie Gavin is no small shoes to fill. Ollie's shoes are indeed absolutely enormous, almost clown shoes, I'd say, uh, because he's freakishly tall. Uh, evening, Ollie. Um, but do I think that in those conversations he would have been thinking about what might happen from 23 onwards? 100% yes. 
do I think that might have come up in those conversations? Maybe not quite as far as 100%, but I think there's a high likelihood that there might well have been a discussion. Do I think uh, he is penciled in somewhere for uh, an LMDH? I'd be staggered if he wasn't on multiple lists. He is, of course, let's not forget, a, an overall Le Mans winner um, with, of course, with Earl Bamber and with, uh, um, oh, what's the, that name of that guy uh, used to be in that thing, Nico Hulkenberg. Um, <sighs> it's a tricky one. I think if he was going to give up one of the best seats in any with any factory in any series anywhere in the world, it's not going to be for a one-year deal with any factory in LMDH. It would have to be about a long-term commitment. So um, am I aware that anything is in the offing? No. Uh, would I be surprised if there wasn't at least an offer on the table from one, if not one, then multiple uh, factory teams? I'd be staggered. I think if, if you were putting uh, down right now people currently in sports car racing um, that you would actually be picking up the phone to and saying, are you interested? I'd suggest that Nick has to be in the top 20 worldwide right now. Um, so there is, a, again, a bit of hashtag wait and see. Um, wouldn't be surprised if he stayed at Corvette. It would not be the biggest shock, let's face it, would it, uh, if what if, uh, what ended up uh, ha- happening here was some kind of middle way where he was racing for either a different factory in the future or for a derivative of the factory he's currently with. Um, it's a talent that you can't ignore. Well, there you go. Succinctly answered by Graham Goodwin. Uh, <laughs> let's see. By the way, I had a fun complaint from someone about my IndyCar listener Q&A show that... Uh, Oh, too really? long. Should only be 20 or 30 minutes. Get to the point, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, if folks start sending in five questions, I can do that. Um, when you get 50 or 60 plus, I'm not sure how to do that. So I appreciate oh, yeah. your, uh, mm. your ability to go succinct mode on, uh, the weekend <laughs> sports cars. All right. Where do we go next? Uh, why do we go back to Trans Am from Pete Hernandez says I've been watching Ooh. Trans Am since the uh, early 90s. Been watching those on YouTube lately. And it was great racing. Any chance they would simplify the category structure and just run the more popular TA2 class? Says the top level TA cars are great, but there isn't as much interest from teams and running cars in the category. Says I think simplifying class structure would help elevate Trans Am profile by making it easier fans to follow. What are your thoughts? Have this conversation more often than I expect, Graham and Pete. And it's not reserved for sports cars. The conversation with someone at Long Beach, actually, on the road to Indy nomenclature. Wait a minute. You've got USF 2000 first tier, Indy Pro 2000 second tier, Indy Lights, and then Indy Car. Wouldn't it just be easier if it was pick some numerical thing of the bottom is such and such four, the middle is such and such three, the closest to IndyCar is such and such two, and then, right, wouldn't that be easier for fans to follow? Couldn't that help grow popularity? I never buy into this, Pete. I I never do. 
uh, and I'm not criticizing you for believing that it is, but I just see that we do so many other things in life that tell us this isn't necessarily a, an issue. I always refer to college sports, Graham. In America here, college football. Um, there are so many different factions of it. This series, the SEC over here and the this over there, and instead of it just being singular national college football, which is massively popular, it is. It feels like it's broken down into 19 different divisions. Um, you even look at the NFL itself or any other large sporting league that has 20 or 30 different teams. They are invariably broken down into some sort of regional thing, one side or the other of that regional area. It's the category they're in. Folks seem to be able to understand that the team in the Northwest division playing the one in the Southeast with the record of this and with that and the other, there are all these complexities of how things are broken down into little subcategories, named things that don't necessarily align with the other thing, and yet bazillions of trillions of people spend money, watch, bet, do everything, and can tell you with the, the finest minutia offered as to what's going on. So when I think about Trans Am with, I know they've got multiple, more than two now. They've got this and that and the other. But if we're just truly talking about, would someone not watch Trans Am, not follow because they have TA and then TA2 as really the two premier classes? If there's a person who does feel that way and says, no, I'm not going to watch, I'd say you never were going to watch to begin with and you probably don't follow follow much in the way of serious sports. Um, hell, Graham, we could talk about comic books. You go, well, hey, if you're a Marvel Universe fan, the strands and ties between the 19 million different characters, who interacted with who when, what multiverse are they in, is this uh, alternate reality, a new re- didn't this person die, but wait a minute, they're alive here, how did that, like, if we are really interested in something, we collectively tend to dive right in and grasp the, oh, so there's GT2, yeah, but then the American Le Mans series is also suffering for entries, so they created GTC, which is a spec Porsche class. Okay, but they also have LMPC, but they also have this. And you go, okay, yeah, get it. You know, it's a lot of different names, a lot of things that uh, might seem like they're too hard to follow, but... Man, uh, the complaint I never hear from folks who really get into their sports uh, and really love it and know all the little bits of minutia is that they can't follow it. So uh, I'd say if you're predisposed to care, you're going to care. And if you aren't, uh, I don't think this is the thing that kicks people out of wanting to care. I just don't think their personality type fits. How's that for an answer? I think it's a great answer. Let's go for Sean Caldwell. MP, what do you think it would take to convince Ford and Dodge to run their GTLM cars one last time as a send-off to the class at Petit Le Mans? This is going to be a short answer. Crack. I think they'd need a lot of crack because they would have to be high on some pretty powerful mind-altering stuff. Um, The race is a month away. Uh, they don't currently have teams to run those cars. 
I don't know if they really own enough of those cars left. Uh, you know, I guess they could rent or lease or something, but um, they left the class. One of them a long time ago, and the other one somewhat recently, but still a little while ago. Uh, they've spent a lot of money, won a lot of things, got all they wanted out of it. Um, they said their farewells. So I love the idea. Don't get me wrong. I love it. At the same time, I want to see Derek Walker back with a Falcon Porsche uh, and Brian Sellers and, and uh, uh, Wolf Hensler driving it. And I want to see Reese in a this, and I want to, you know, there's all kinds of things I'd love to see as kind of farewell tributes to GTLM. But yeah, uh, they already done said farewell, my friend. So getting them to spend a buttload of money. Um, and who, you know, could you imagine, you know, uh, what what would we do? What will we call that? Is it GTL Extreme, GTLX, GTL Extreme, <laughs> unrestricted in the middle of a professional motor race where we're trying to settle G- championships? GT retired. Oh yes. Oh, Rattel would say it was GT Rattel though. But um, anyways, um, I love the idea. So you it's possible. Yes, I am. Here's what I'm saying. We know Ben Keating enough. He's from Texas, so that first of all just su- not does, more than suggest confirms he's a little bit crazy. Uh, he owns one of them four GTs. Wh- how do we get Ben, who we know loves to drive in every class possible, with the way Road America is set up with the WeatherTech Championship cars on the inside of the track using call it the infield pit lane and the Michelin Pilot Challenge Series and others on the outside of the track using the secondary pit lane that's um, just below the media center. How do we get Ben to sneak in in a little small enclosed trailer, his Ford GT, park it on the Michelin Pilot Challenge side, have him climb out of an LMP2 car, GTD, or Lord knows what he's all he's going to end up driving at Petit, run across the bridge, dive into the trailer fire up that Ford GT, hopefully have someone open the back of the trailer so he can roll out and then just pull onto the track with all restrictors taken off, no ballast, you name it, pull out using the Michelin Pilot Challenge pit lane and then just cause mayhem. What does IMSA do? Did they red flag the race to get him off the track? There's no reason to send chase vehicles because it's going to be a truck or an SUV or something. It's not going to catch him. Do they block the track? Does he think about that? And at each corner have some sort of hidden jumps that uh, his his uh, handlers wheel out for him to get by Dukes of Hazard style to evade any track blockages that uh, IMSA might try and create? I'm saying this is entirely possible. This may already be in the works. I may have just revealed a really big scoop and secret we've been sitting on for a little while, Graham. So hopefully no one's listening. So you say it's possible. It's possible. <laughs> it, it just look for that nondescript trailer with no branding on it. Uh, just a you know tag along trailer, not a big you know full eighteen wheel. Just towed behind a pickup truck. Just have him wheel that. He's just going to back right out and keep going. Look, if nothing else, he'll be good for one fuel stint. Okay. There you, you, know, go. Um, there you go. This is what's happening. I'm telling you, buy tickets. Look for it. If you don't see it happen, doesn't mean it didn't happen. It just means that for whatever reason you didn't see it. 
Yeah, they probably if they did happen, they probably wouldn't show it on TV. So it might happen. You're going to have to be there to find out if it does happen. I think that's uh, that's the key thing here. One very quick one here from Head Joris uh, says: Do the teams car builders know who's providing the curve system for LMDH yet? Yes, they do, Ed. Um, you asked whether or not IMSA have picked uh, a supplier yet. IMSA and the ACO uh, have collaborated on that. It is Bosch uh, Williams. It's Bosch for the motor. It is Williams for the battery pack, extract for the gearbox is the spec part of that powertrain. And to that, you can add your OEM uh, engine and your spectacular bodywork. That is what an LMDH basically is with your selection of the four um, different LMP2 chassis. Um, anything else from the the, the, the the book of face that you wanted to uh, drag out from here? Or should we just uh, switch seamlessly over to those people who had the the bravado, the gusto, the cheek to put on their uh, put their questions through Twitter to, to the end of this program, MP. Uh, let's go to the tweeters. Let's have a quick look here. Uh, Daniel Summerskill, here's one I think for you. What do we know about the big American team, aka Penske? that uh, rumour has it might have a 2022 programme in the WEC. Um, are they going to do it? If so, why are they going to do it? And could Dane Cameron be racing for them? Ooh, spicy. Well, I think you'd be the WEC guy to know about that. So that's probably your end. Um, um, so, so let's put it this way. Certainly uh, Penske have been mentioned more than once to me in chats with people in the paddock. Uh, as, as taking a very interested look in what they might do to ramp up their efforts ahead of the Porsche affair. And to be realistic, the only way they're going to do that is with LMP2. Yes. A Porsche 911 RSR GTE AM program, Graham, I would suggest be a little bit strange for them. Uh, yep. Dane Camerooney. I don't know when that's going to be announced, but... I can tell you that Dane Cameroni will indeed be part of that uh, Porsche program. So looking forward to that for him, that's a nice nod, isn't it, Graham? That mm -hmm. uh, Roger Penske, Tim Sindrick, and company were impressed enough by him in his time with the uh, Penske Acura DPI effort to say we want to have this guy a part of this porsche factory effort and not speaking mm -hmm. any kind of negatively towards acura but if we're just talking name and reputation a big full factory porsche sports car program in prototypes like that carries a lot of weight not as if driving and winning a title for acura does not just saying you add time and history uh, a ton of it to a porsche campaign uh, and you realize that wow this is actually I would say probably the biggest honor of his career. Obviously, multiple championship winner in IMSA, so it's not as if he has not earned such a thing. Just saying that this is a big deal. And we know and knew from the moment it was announced, well, the moment we learned about it, which was before it was announced, there's going to be seemingly every professional race star, car driver on the planet trying to get in, trying to get one of those seats. So to be someone who's not only a part of it, but uh, seemingly one of the very first picks. I love it. I just love it for him. 
Um, what else uh, you got on Twitter? Because I just clicked the wrong thing, and now I no longer that's okay. in front no of us. Uh, Matthew Lyson, I've got a couple here. Matthew Lyson says, are we expecting any possible increased involvement in GT Pro in WEC next year? Corvette more, running more races, perhaps? Anyone looking to run Aston Martin full-time? I will say just this. At this point, I mean, do I expect Corvette to run a couple of races? Yes, I do. Uh, I think that's been a pretty clear part of the, the bartering between Corvette Racing and the ACO, which surrounds their ability to field cars at the military grounds, is that they must uh, show willing to actually allow those cars to be seen, both by the WEC fans and also by the technical uh, people who look after the BOP. At this point, Matthew, I'll say just this, because I'm kind of keeping a couple of cards close to my chest. Um, at this point, a full season GTE Pro entry of only four cars would count as a disappointment. Uh, so there are things around at the moment. There's nothing over the line yet that I can tell you about or report. Um, but uh, there are parties, plural, that see the opportunity for what should be the final uh, outing for GT Pro. I'll say again, by the way, here, MP, I still think a mistake has been made here. I think I would have preferred to have seen the opportunity given for the market to decide this and for a line in the sand to be drawn to say, we'll have a GT Pro class beyond 2022 if you'll come up with your insert number of cars that could be in a full season class and um, then let the market decide rather than legislating that out. It may well be that uh, the ACO rulemakers knew better than uh, know better than I do that that's not going to be a prospect, but giving that opportunity, I think, would have been a sensible mark for 2023. Um, the other quick one here is from Tice uh, Barangred. With Ferrari making an LMH in the future, do you see Valentino Rossi trying Le Mans? Logical is he always likes car racing. He's already done John's racing in the past. He's also got really good ties with Ferrari. Tice goes on to say, they've said in the past, he's always welcome to join a Ferrari program, bring uh, even more publicity to John's racing. Also has his own race team, could do a privateer entry. Since he stopped bike racing, would he like a new challenge? I have zero doubt we're going to see Valentino Rossi uh, in insurance racing, and very little doubt that that would include a run at the 24 Hours of Le Mans. I would be staggered if that meant that he ended up in a factory Ferrari LMH. I don't think that's where his future lies. Um, might he form part of something with a privateer efforts in the top class? Possible, but far, far more likely, uh, particularly the way he's done his racing in the past, is that he, with his friends and his family, because that's the way he's gone racing in the past, uh, should, I think, rock up in GTE-AM with a Ferrari uh, GTE car. That's where I expect the Doctor to be. Uh, that's where I think most people expect the Doctor to be. Um, and you know, one thing you can, you can be guaranteed from a multiple world champion, you don't walk into a lion's den of another part of motorsport without understanding exactly what the scope and scale of the challenge is. Uh, in terms of the technical side of things, in terms of the physical requirements, in terms of the competition, and in terms of the money. Um, so, uh, yes, I think we'll see uh, Rossi race in uh, top-line endurance racing, uh, but I don't expect that to be anything other than a GT car in 2022. Um, 
we just have to wait and see where the market takes us with customer cars beyond that. But anybody expecting Ferrari to just slot him in to their top-line race program uh, with no prior um, prototype experience, I think, is dreaming. I think we may see another um, world champion, multiple world champion, slotting into a prototype next year at some point. That's Sebastian Ogier. Uh, so Ogier will be testing the uh, Toyota LMDH, sorry, LMH car at Bahrain. He's already spoken about the possibility of finding a stepping stone so that he might be considered for a part in the factory program in the future. That, by the way, would not be the first time he's looked at that. There was a prospect a couple of years ago that could have seen Sebastian Ogier at Le Mans in an LMP2 car. Uh, more of that as when we get the opportunity to write the story. But um, it's interesting times. It's again, isn't it, another example of the focus of motorsport just drifting into what is going to be an exciting new era. MP, if you found out where we are yet? No. So uh, keep going. <laughs> um, and hey, we got a little bit of time, but not a crazy amount of time left. So okay. let's make them good. Well, okay, Ryan Terpstra says, uh, hi, Ryan, with all the factory teams coming online in the next two year, next year or two, will IMSA and WEC make an actual effort to avoid schedule conflicts? It's okay to break big news here. Is Pastor Maldonado going to be the lead Ferrari driver? No, he's not. Uh, Ryan, I sincerely hope that all that goodwill that has been parlayed into the regulations for this new top class, the convergence, the acceptance now with IMSA that they will take factory LMH cars uh, in the major races or indeed as full season uh, entrants for the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship. I sincerely hope we are going to see exactly that. There may well be no way in which you can absolutely avoid it once we get back to full calendars globally. That's been, you know... Um, a problem over the last couple of years pretty obviously i sincerely hope that that's the case i hope it's start of a new era of collaboration i hope what we we get the opportunity to see as race goers in europe and in asia is the very best teams available whether or not they are full season uh, entrants for either or uh, the other championship i hope that you in the states get to see the very best teams from europe at the rolex 24 and maybe at petite le mans and that the opportunity is there to do that if the willingness and the budgets permit i hope that's the case uh, i tend to think that whilst it's great to have a little bit of difference i think we saw didn't we at the sebring double header just how much it meant to the fans trackside to get the opportunity to see something different and the something different was the uh, Toyota uh, Olympic one hybrids and I know that was a massive draw for a huge number of the uh, race fans it's just so so sad that we didn't have that opportunity uh, to do that with the double header when we had Audi and Porsche as well uh, let's hope in the brave new world we get some real innovation some real collaboration of thought and who knows what else comes out of that thought process to make sports car racing bigger and better on a global scale we need to find a way where we're not compartmentalizing self-interest in terms of a championship and an organizing body but recognize that 
there is something greater than the sum of those parts by bringing it together in a fairly controlled way, whether or not that means you've got a particular race becomes a round for the top class for both. I don't know. Is that what might happen in Indianapolis uh, in terms of a sports car racing opportunity? I don't know. Uh, Would it be cool if it did? I'd be on the next plane. Simple as that. And I think a lot of other people would too, because we are now in the realms of a point in time MP where we're not now talking about the possibility of five or six cars in a top class in one or other championship. You're talking about double figures in both. And the combined might of those grids, if they came together, is <sighs> that, that, you know, it's a word I use, and people take the piss when I use it. It's mouthwatering. It really is a really mouthwatering prospect that you could have, you know, three, four, five wide um, with cars with balanced performance but that look different, that perform slightly differently in different places. And that, that's where the, the combination of an LMH and an LMDH grid actually adds more than it takes away as long as that balancing prospect can be done. Why don't I take Nicholas Kahoot who says, does the Texas IndyCar Sebring IMSA conflict provide an opportunity for out-of-work high-level drivers to get rides, at least for one big race? Says so thinking about, say, Joey Hand. Also, why fly an IndyCar driver back and forth, exhausting them instead of having a dedicated driver in their place? Well, look at you, Mr. Observing all the really obvious things that (laughs) folks should care a lot more about but haven't apparently by creating this date conflict. (sighs) Hear you. Totally understand what you're saying. Don't disagree with a word. Would not be surprised if a couple of the drivers who are meant to be in Sebring, do get a, uh, a pass from the team um, when this conflict arrives. The only sticking point that comes to mind, Nicholas, is just the contractual side. Um, there's the driving part, for sure. The reason that mostly DPI teams, but again, we could see sprinkled out in other uh, IMSA categories, uh, other IndyCar drivers being uh, purposed, put to work uh, at Sebring elsewhere. There's a reason for that, not only from the speed and talent standpoint, we know that, uh, but there's also some pretty big commercial value we need to acknowledge. Uh, this is the reason why uh, some teams really go hard to get their hands on an, an IndyCar driver for some of these big rounds where they know in theory, prior to this Texas Sebring thing, there'd be no conflicts. It's helping to sell sponsors. It's helping to get extra money for the Rolex 24, Sebring, etc., etc. It's that star power. Um, this is a pretty normal thing. So in some instances, it's purely the we need an endurance driver. This one here we know is very good in sports cars and, hey, uh, let's get him because we know this person's going to be amazing. Let's get her. We know she's going to be amazing. The commercial side is one where you'd go, that might be hard for some teams that have IndyCar drivers uh, on the books under contract for Sebring to say, hey, love you. It's your dumb series that chose to do this, not IMSA. IMSA's date for Sebring's been out for a long time. 
Sorry, pal, but uh, if this inconveniences your IndyCar weekend, that does suck. But you put your name on a contract, we are either giving or have already given you money. Please render your services. And to be honest, there might be greater value received if that driver is tired from all the flying back and forth. There may be greater value received in the hospitality suite and in the transporter talking to the CEO of a primary sponsor, associate, whatever, manufacturer, you name it. It's often a little bit of the the driver glitz and glamour here in America when we do get the IndyCar drivers coming in, Graham, and you learn of, again, hey, you did an amazing job in the car, but wow, uh, we're probably paying half your salary just for the the star power and the posing for selfies and the, the... shaking of hands and making of of good good tidings for everyone who helps underwrite what we're doing and i think that's an area nicholas that we can't uh underestimate for those imsa teams and uh manufacturers to say sorry bud but uh we'll see you next uh next march in sebring as well when you're not playing in texas uh, okay, I think we're not a million miles away from the end of the show. I think we've got so one more run... question. Okay, well, I can run through one really quick one, and then I'll take one final one before we wrap it up. Uh, the quick one, because it's coming in several times. Chris Mock says, newbie general question, what counts as a single chassis when referring to a chassis number? One of the most important parts to define the chassis isn't the monocoque. It is the monocoque. It's as simple as that. Easiest way to sort that out is if you ask a team nicely, get to show you where the chassis plate is. That's the chassis. That's the uh, the basic component of the car that defines what is that single car. Uh, final one, John Foreman. It's another one on the Alpine story. Great news from Alpine. He says the announcement seemed a bit delayed after the song and dance the brand put on at Le Mans. Was it originally expected Alpine would announce an LMH program at the Great Race? If so, what changed their minds? I think the process did go on longer than probably the ACO expected. Uh, the answer was actually in some of the Q&A that we saw come out from Alpine, where they talked about the relevance of an LMH was uh, rather more to do with the technology, and they felt the better platform for that was Formula One, which they already have, of course. And the relevance of the LMDH, in terms of what I think we'll see in terms of the styling of the car, tended more towards the um, the LMDH side of the of the potential platforms. So that's at least their PR answer. Uh, I'm sure the money came into it as well. I suspect, by the way, that the um, the link with Lotus that was uh, around earlier in the life cycle of this uh, coming forward revolved around the technology that would have gone into an LMH program. Had that actually happened, that would be an interesting one for us to dig into uh, in a little wee while. But I think we can all celebrate the fact that we've got another great brand, another huge company coming into sports car racing and announcing they're going to do it for four years from 2024, which is uh, better still. So great stuff from there. For now, though, as we get towards the end of, what is it, 50 minutes or so for this show, MP? Yes. Uh, it is indeed time for us to say he's been Marshall Pruitt. I've been Graham Goodwin. We're going to say thank you once again to Cooper Tyres to the Justice Brothers and to TorontoMotorsports.com for supporting us as always with another quick fire run through your questions submitted to uh, the Weekend Sports Cars part of the Marshall Pruitt podcast we will be back with more of that and more besides for next week's show for now 
thank you very much for joining us.